0: So just as I say we aren't gonna let any dogs or water hoses turn us around, we aren't gonna let any injunction turn us around.
1: We wanted to go ahead and celebrate uh, Martin Luther King uh, on this uh, this great week um, as we are celebrating Martin Luther King Day, and I figured there would be nobody better to join us to have this conversation uh, than the author of the amazing book, Kingmaker, and also uh, not just the Martin Luther King enthusiast, but he who sought to pretty much emulate and implement all of the uh, all the skill sets of dr martin luther king in his own life and, and the fruit is definitely very bearing uh this this gentleman that we are talking to today who's goody goodlow and so um you know sir we, we've we got the pleasantries out the way uh let's go ahead and get down to business man. i want i want you to talk to us uh, uh first and just kind of explain uh the the eye to eye in this you know scan us in you know what was it that inspired you to be inspired uh, to create, or really, you know, just to do the life track and then also to create the book. Go ahead and uh, break that down for us Well,
2: little well, um, Well, wow. thank you so much. It's great to be here, JB, and I appreciate this opportunity. You know, um, as I've said to my students and, and even colleagues uh, that I get a chance to uh, speak with uh, on the life of Dr. King about and just other even women and men who, who have studied his life uh, any discussion about Dr. King, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., must first uh, begin with his the foundation, which was his faith. Uh, so often we confuse or we mitigate or underestimate the significance of the role in which faith and specifically the church played in advancing and shaping and formulating uh, the movement that Dr. King led, but also his worldview or how he viewed the scriptures and how those scriptures uh, we're not just left to be dusty pages on a shelf uh, reflecting about days of old or the inauguration of the local church. But really, uh, the scriptures were a roadmap in terms of how we are to view ourselves as we're made in the Imago Dei, but also how we are to treat one another. And so when Dr. King spoke, for example, on August 28, 1963, and said that a person should be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin... He's reaching not uh, from just some creative language uh, of a thesaurus, but rather he's he's examined the text, the ancients, where the scriptures talks about how we are indeed created, how our mother knitted or got knitted us when we were in our mother's womb, and that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, Jeremiah 29 and obviously Psalm 139. And so any discussion about Dr. King must begin with the foundations of which how he viewed the world. And that was his faith. And then that's for me, growing up in South Central LA, shout out to Compton, Uh, you know, growing up in a a context of faith. And there were not, to be quite frank, there were not many heroes around my community, around my home. I grew up in a single parent family home. My mom raised us. Of course, she is my hero, but in terms of male role models, they were often at a distance. And very early on, I would say, within my preteens, I, I just became fascinated—not just with the man, but the message of Martin King, and that we were indeed called uh, to to live out the scriptures. And um, and as the great prophet says, we were, we are called to seek justice, love mercy and walk humbly with God, as Micah says. And so that was Dr. King's life, and that's been my passion to try to do that as broken, as bruised, as much in need of grace as I am. uh, We've been trying to do that for the the time I've been on planet Earth.
3: You know, Goody, one of the uh, things that I find interesting about Martin Luther King is I think we lose some of the context, much like what happens uh, with Scripture and with, you know, the, the New Testament and what Jesus spoke about, and how it kind of morphs over time, since you studied him so well, can you give us an idea of how he was received at the time, versus how we kind of collectively look back at him as a culture as, as pretty much a, you know, uh, an amazing, inspiring person? He wasn't received that way at the time, was he?
2: Oh, Devin, the man, that's point, point on. You know, there's several uh, sort of movements uh, in Dr. King's life when we can examine g- as such. You know, Dr. King was an a, a anathema. Uh, he was uh, considered, uh, you know, an instigator, agitator, uh, called names, derogatory names, slurs, everything from communist to demeaning names about the color of his skin. This, these type of comments came not only from people, uh, white people, but even from people, uh, who were black African-American people. Uh, Dr. King was viewed by our government as a threat. As historians, academics, we now know there's been scores of records released in which the FBI specifically and members of the administrations of Kennedy and Johnson target Dr. King, uh, illegally Everything ranging from uh, issues related to taxes to trying to blackmail, to try to discredit him. We know that. We know that there were organizations uh, that were even within the African-American community who denounced him publicly. For example, in 1967, when Dr. King spoke at the, at the great historic um, church in, um, in, uh, in D.C., And uh, the name just left me for a second, but it'll come to me here. But when he spoke at Riverside Church, for example, in New York, and when he talked about opposing the war in Vietnam on April 4th, 1967, I want to make sure I got that right. Yep. You know, he spoke out against the Vietnam War and said it's costing us $100,000 to kill one North Viet Cong when that money could be used to to help speak to the plight and conditions of Negroes. I'm using that historic term, Negroes, in their communities. Well, the NAACP, every major newspaper in America, from Chicago to New York to L.A., condemned Dr. King. Famous people who lauded him, who supported him, who came along his side from, uh, such as Jackie Robinson, for example, spoke out uh, against Dr. King and basically said, you know, peace and civil rights don't mix, stay in your lane. And I've often said recently that there's a whole lot of people that owe Dr. King some apologies posthumously, <laughs> uh, people within the black community, white community. His letter from Birmingham jail written in 1963 uh, in the spring of that year, in April, that letter was written to eight clergymen, white clergymen. Yeah. Uh, the message Dr. King wrote, and it should be required reading for every person who's a follower of Jesus, mm-hmm. not to mention every student. I know both of you are connected to our to our Wave College, but um, that that letter smuggled out on newspaper by his lawyer with no helps, no commentary, no dictionary. That letter is a response to a rebuke that King got from eight white clergymen who criticized him, said he was a, the Negro, You again, using the historic term, was in too much of a religious hurry, that he was seen as an outsider, that time, T-I-M-E, Kronos, not Kairos, that Kronos mm-hmm. would in fact, if eventually, this issue of justice would inevitably roll uh, through, and it would that the Negroes just needed more time. And so Dr. King wrote a rebuke and said how greatly he dis- was disappointed in these uh, these men, but also in the church as a whole. And I love the refrain he has in that beautiful epistle. It is epistle, an epistle. He says, uh, I'm greatly disappointed in you and what I couldn't call white moderates leaders of the church. But he, he says there can be no great disappointment where there is no great love. Hmm. Dr. King loved the church. And, but he also was greatly disappointed in the lack of support. You know, one of the things that we have made the mistake in doing it in uh, our churches across the country, although some, uh, I would argue some have, have, have not, uh, have not done it, but we, we tend to uh, categorize things being as spiritual and political. Or you were hear pastors and said, oh you know I, I don't want to be political from my stage. I don't want to be I don't want to get involved in politics. <laughs> uh, there is nothing more political uh, that, that, than that of the life and the teachings of Jesus. Yeah he was born in the context of where the Roman government dictated how many uh, how, where Jews could pay their money, uh, how many children they could have if they could have children at all, uh, to the amount of bread they literally could eat. Calories were dictated by the Roman government. Oh, Jesus's on. parents were fleeing uh, as a result of a, a political policy of a of a tyrant, of a ruler, who was seeking to do families harm to the point where infanticide, an in infanticide, where he's willing to kill people to advance his policies. Uh, When Jesus goes to the cross, you know, you had an opportunity uh, between Jesus and Barabbas to be released. You know, that's early release parole program. Someone got a pardon that day. Jesus didn't get a pardon. There's politics all throughout the life and the experience of Jesus here on earth. And the key is not to avoid politics. The key is to see the political spectrum through the lenses of how Jesus would see them. One last one example. You know, Jesus talks about Who is my neighbor? The Samaritan. It's not the good Samaritan. It is the Samaritan story. Samaritans were a mixed breed of people considered uh, by society uh, as being something not to be beholden to, something to be esteemed. And when Jesus responds to this young person, this young ruler who asked about who is my neighbor, he tells a story of a Samaritan. And he talks about how there was a man who fell victim on that dangerous Jericho road where it was a road known to be, uh, to be a place where thieves and robbers would lie in wait. And he says that the priest and the Levite came along and both of them, this is Dr. King now, Dr. King says that both of them came along that road, saw that bruised and battered man on that road. And they asked the question, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the Samaritan came along and reversed the question if i do not stop to help this man what will happen to him
3: mm-hmm.
2: and so in that in that parable there there is there is everything there is from political to spiritual to our obligation that what we have as human beings to care uh to be sensitive uh you know to address the issues of our society who was responsible for guarding that road who is responsible for uh caring for that person who fell victim you know, the relationships for which that Samaritan had with the townspeople is to say, listen, if anything that is old, I will take care of it when I return. Uh, a person's word matters. When when we speak something, we, we, we should be honest. We should tell the truth. We should hold not only ourselves accountable to telling the truth, but to those who are in leadership, those who, who we entrust with the issues of responsibility of leading others. So I reject the notion of, of quote, quote, politics, often say we have a problem with politics in the church when often that politics goes against with something we are about for. Yeah. But if we call it, if we call it as Jesus sees it, uh, we have no problem in speaking to the issues and the conditions of our day. Matters of war and peace, uh, matters related to citizenry and governance, and they are not— Categorized issue or issues in in box one, box two, box three. Yeah, uh, yeah. As you know, both of you know in the Jewish culture, the way of life. There is wholeness. There is no this this idea of, uh, of a categorized life does not exist. Uh, we are we are we are we are all inclusive in terms of how we live out our faith, the teachings of our faith, understanding who Jesus is, influenced by the light and love and the teachings of his of of, of Jesus, of course, and so. Uh, that's a long answer to 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 respond to but it's it's needed we need to re-examine there's a couple books i would recommend on that one is by obi hendricks who wrote an amazing book called the politics of jesus
3: mm-hmm.
2: the politics of jesus by obi hendricks phd minister of the gospel and um uh, there is another word another one uh, that um that that I recommend it's called uh Kingmaker written by a guy named uh Marcus, Marcus Goodie Goodie. <laughs> <laughs> I hear he's
1: I like tremendous it. I like the yeah, I like we should the, get him on yeah the lead in for the plug right there hold on now yeah no, uh, it's funny uh no I mean you're spot on And one of the things that I've uh revisited and as a matter of fact it's funny because I did a bonus podcast um with one of our college students and I, I made mention of that you know, I made mention of the fact that uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan uh, from a different lens uh, shows you not only the, the understanding of what you're talking about, but also the fact that uh, racism is as old as hell, literally. Um, That's right. Because remember, right. in the end, what happens? Jesus asks that same person, it was just like, So, who would you consider the brother? And the answer the, the, the guy gave was, The one. He yeah, the one, specify, that's right, that's yeah, right, that not even use his name. Exactly, you know, so he, that's exactly. You you know it's just it's <laughs> jacked right. up, man. That's you good know, insight, so, good um, insight. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I just, I love that, and I also love the fact that uh, you made mention of of, of Jesus and, and, and politics. Uh, you know, one thing I say is uh, Jesus was about politics, he was not about partisanship. Um, and I think that's uh, something that, as we take a look at these things, remembering the life of Martin Luther King and seeing all the people that he was able to galvanize from, from all sides, um, I, you know, it's funny, I, I, never used the word galvanized until I heard you preach a goodie. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but it's there, uh, you know, but just, just looking at the, the wide array of people he was able to get from the North, from the South, the black, the white. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's amazing, uh, to see some of the things that he was able to do. One of my favorite pieces, um, that he did was actually an, an interview I don't know if you remember the interview he did uh, for Meet the Press. I'm sure you do because you, you've studied all things Goody. Um, but yeah, uh, he 1965, Meet the Press, where he was being interviewed. Um, and they were uh, asking a, a series of questions basically on, on the understanding of his beliefs and how they go against the law, uh, of course, the law of their time, um, and how ultimately his response uh, was produced in a rhetoric that said no matter what, um, I'm going for what's right because what's right is what's Jesus. He didn't say Jesus, but when it came down to it, that was the understanding. Um, and how the difference between him and other folks who were, uh, I guess, trying to be a representative or representation of the movement was that he was not afraid to go to jail. Ultimately, he was not afraid to die. Um, and it's one of the things that still inspires me to this day. It's probably my my favorite. Publishing of any writing, sermon, interview that he's ever done. To be perfectly honest with you, um, speaking to to that, I know there's a lot in your book, uh, or just actually kind of shifting. I just really wanted to put that in there because I just love talking about it. But um, in your book, uh, there's one specific section, um, and you can give us your favorite part as well if you'd like to. But I wanted you to kind of speak on. Um, his understanding of, what was it, on page 40, 41, 42, something like that, uh, the I got this. Um, yeah, the, the the concept of I got this that he gives was having to deal specifically with leadership. Uh, I wanted you to be able to unpack that because it because <laughs> it, it, it amazed me because when you look at how his narrative was presented, you would swear that he handled all these things on his own. Uh, but then when you do the research, you realize that he most certainly had Help, And that was one of the main reasons that he did everything that he did as far as um, organizing um, all the different groups, the coalitions and things of that nature. Uh, speak to that a little bit for me, if you will. And then if you'd like to go. ahead.
2: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, thanks for the question. Dr. King, really his passion, his dream, certainly in terms of addressing these um, is- issues of injustice, disenfranchisement, his passion was to build what he called a coalition of conscience. King believed that, again, historic term, the Negro could not advance issues of civil rights on their own, that they needed people of what he called goodwill, this coalition of conscience. He believed that there were people who were watching what was happening in the streets of Atlanta and Birmingham and uh, Montgomery down in mississippi in different places he believed there were people not just black people but people that were white who were uh who were just just disheartened by what they were seeing on their screens and king was literally trying to stir the conscience of the nation to rally with uh negroes negroes at that time represented less than 10 percent of the nation's population and so they didn't have the political will they didn't might they didn't have the um, you know, f- financial might. They didn't have the overall presence in terms of numbers, and so this required others. And so, one of the things we talk about in Kingmaker, the book, is uh, so often as leaders, you know, leadership is seen sometimes as a s- single person. Unfortunately, oftentimes a man advancing in s- some distance or up to sort some mountain with some dream or some aspiration looking to his left or to his right, maybe even looking backwards and saying, who's with me? That's not leadership. Leadership is we it leadership is communal. It's con it's connected. It's it's uh it's uh it is us, not I. It is we, not me. Yeah. You know, uh and so when we say the idea of we I got this, it's the notion where, you know, uh in a weight room a few years ago there was an athlete who played for USC, who entered into the weight room. He was a star running back, and he yeah. was going to, many believe he was going to be a top draft choice. And on this particular day, he entered into a weight room by himself, got underneath a bench press, and had manageable weight. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, that bar slipped from his hand and crushed his neck. Right. And there he was, struggling, battling for his life. Uh, they rushed him to the hospital, tracheotomy, the whole nine. And by God's grace, he made it. But uh, when they did an examination and what they call a review of the whole affair, they discovered that there were several things amiss. One, lack of institutional control at USC. There were a number of things happening within that program, people not accounted for, doing things they shouldn't have been doing, too. They fired the strength and conditioning coach and kind of shuffled their staff and held people accountable that way. But then one of the other findings of this report issued by the NCAA, the governing body of athletics in college it says that uh, that the athlete himself was responsible because he did something that all athletes know not to do do not attempt to lift the weight without, without a what a spotter yep without a spotter come on
3: that's right yeah, every time know. i and try so to lift the, the bar yeah, alone the i have a spotter of, the
2: idea of <laughs> i got this is the antithesis but what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What it means to live in community. Yeah, man. Uh, everything we see in the scriptures, as it relates to Jesus, as it relates to God our Father, even the Holy Spirit, always yeah. happens in the context of we. Jesus says it this way: "I do nothing on my own; that which you see me do, I do as a result of the Father." Paraphrasing John, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, John 15. He says, "I am the vine; you yeah. are the branch. If any person be in me, and I in yeah. him." They shall bring forth much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Go back to Genesis. Go in the creation story. Let us yeah. make humanity in our image. See the plural? Let us. Who, who's us? Right, right. You know, Jesus owned, Jesus is part of the redemption story. You know, think about that. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says it this way. We are Christ's ambassadors as though God himself were doing, was doing what? making his appeal through, through us. us. Yeah. Do you know the redemption, the reconciliation story involves we, us, Yeah. that the God of the universe was says, you know what? My name, my grace, and my love needs to be shared with the world. And I'm not calling on a fish, a monkey, a bird, a tree to do it. I'm calling, I'm inviting you to join with me, us, let's go. And so, the image I I talk about is I'm right here as I'm talking to you guys. I'm in Los Angeles in the South Bay here and I noticed on my drive today there were some construction workers and there was a single line. There's a guy I would have signed, there was another guy digging, another guy with a shovel, another guy was at a was at a bulldozer moving some gravel. And they were working side by side in tandem. And that is the image of of, of this idea of What it means to live in community influenced by the light and love of Jesus, serving in a local church. Shout out to our church, Wave Church, uh, Pastor Sharon and Steve. But that's what it it means to live in community. That's what it means to live connected, working side by side, advancing a cause, one of generosity, nobility, wholeness, faithfulness, forgiveness, love, and compassion. We are co-laborers with God uh, as though God himself were making his appeal through us. That's a beautiful thing, man. Yeah, and so is. the idea of "I got this" uh, that should never be our mantra. That should never be the banner that resides uh, over our leading. It should be "we," "us." There's an African proverb that I know you're familiar with. It says, "If you want to go fast, go, go alone. alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Yeah. Yeah. Go with others. Go together." And the advancement of the message of Jesus, two thousand plus years, has happened because. It has been collectively carried from sheroes and heroes, uh, not only in the times of Jesus, but all throughout the centuries that followed such. This message of faith, hope, and love uh, remains with us even now. And it's advancing. The kingdom is advancing in part, large part, because of the the collective we, not because of I. Not because of I got this, it's because of we. We are entrusted uh with the with the euangelion the good news the gospel the gospel literally the gospel of jesus the good news of jesus and it happens best when we're presenting it not just in word but indeed in doing that uh, collectively in the context of we not i
0: well i don't know what will happen now we've got some difficult days ahead but it really doesn't matter with me now because i've been to the mountaintop Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord.
3: Two of the things that you you mentioned that I wanted to just kind of touch on, the first one being the coalition of of conscience. Uh, Yes, sir. So to me, that's interesting as a a white man in America. Looking back, a lot of the things that I see uh, the white culture struggle with is taking responsibility for things that maybe they themselves didn't do, but generations before them did. And, you know, it feels like when Dr. King called upon people to, to join him for this greater cause, that there was this sense of, well, well, why do I have to, (laughs) you know, pick up this cause? Why do I have to put in the work for something that, that I didn't have to do? Um, And it's amazing that I still see that today. Um, in in our culture, and uh, that's that's probably one of the reasons why he was he was deemed so dangerous mm-hmm. because he's he's holding people accountable for things um, from a, a mindset standpoint. Um, and then the the second thing I wanted to touch on in the, on the I but uh, it's it's not I but we I don't know if you've seen the two popes yet, but one of the interesting things that they talk about when um, the former pope is talking to the new pope about becoming pope, he says, I, I I, don't want that position. And he goes, that's precisely why you should have it. <laughs> you know, <it's>, uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and it, it's very fascinating, because I think a lot of times when we are called into leadership, we're called to do things, and we're, and we're called to carry a burden or put in work that, that we don't necessarily want to do, but that calling is so strong that we do it anyway. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, and particularly thanks for raising that too, Chandler. I just think um, for you and Brown, I mean, that that I mean, you guys embody in essence a lot of what we're talking about, this coalition of conscience that we can find common ground in the issues uh, uh, despite the differences of our ethnicity. You know, there was a woman named Viola Lauza who in 1965, a mother of five, traveled from Detroit to serve Dr. King in the civil rights movement. In fact, she took freedom riders and women and men who were registering people to vote in her car and carried them around to different points in the march. Uh, that woman was killed, leaving five kids behind. Drove all the way from Detroit. People were wondering why, why should, why should would she do that? Why should why why would she leave her family? Why would she sacrifice so much and she fell victim to an assassin's bullet? And I failed to mention that white, that woman was white. She's the first, and to our knowledge, as academics, the only white person, uh, white woman killed in the civil rights movement. Uh, we know that there were others. Uh Swarner, Goodman, and Cheney, two Jews and a black killed. Uh, there were others uh, who um, who put their lives on the line, who were not connected to king by ethnicity or you know, some relationship, but were connected to king by this redemptive message of Jesus, where Jesus calls us to to to, you know, to love one another. You know, Jesus is asked, well, what is the greatest commandment? He says, obviously, love you, Lord, your God heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, all the other commands rest rest with these. And so it is where we identify the things that we hold in common. This coalition of conscience does that. And so when we see policies, when we see conditions, circumstances that befall on one community, disenfranchising them disproportionately, whether substantive uh, sort of differentiations that exist within issues related to incarceration, matters of health care, immigration issues, uh, we have a moral obligation to engage, to speak out. Right. Uh, when we look in our communities, black, brown, uh, whether that's being pulled over by police in disproportionate numbers or being Involved in violent shootings with police in disproportionate numbers as an obligation in a community we have and those of us who are leaders in faith have an obligation to look at that, to examine that. There is no occupation in America that's infallible Hmm. from military to police to tax collectors to dentists to accountants. They're all human
3: pastors too, right? Not ever that, man. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I I don't that know why why truth is a political issue. Like truth, yeah, should, yeah. truth so, should so is we not see political. Policies <laughs> and
2: so this idea of you know we can't call out, we can't we can't hold accountable, we can't question. Uh, there is no position by virtue of its position is void of being held accountable.
1: Correct. True story, man.
2: Whether you live at 1600 Veins Avenue
3: or Marlano, whether your
2: address is on some local street in Chicago on the south side, that if you are entrusted with responsibility for leading, for influencing others, that the most precious commodity on the planet remains people. God sent his son not to die for a bird— for a leopard, for a goat, Whoa. we're the only thing made in the image of God. And so we, are, we still remain God's highest, most treasured commodity. And so we have a responsibility when that commodity, when people who are made in the image of God are disadvantaged, unjustly, wrongfully accused, preyed upon uh, as pastors, as priests, as prophets. You know, it's interesting you, when you look in the scriptures, women and men, prophets, you know, they were standing next to kings in power, but they had no problem calling out those women and men in power. Right. You know, and we got it, we got it, we got it backwards. So I, I am willing to lay hands and pray for you as a leader. But I'm also willing to take you into council and admonish you as a leader. We see that, for example, in Nathan and, and David, for example. And right. so again, there's no there's no position that is void or absolved or that has in some way gets a pass uh because uh you you hold an office or because you you have some great uh responsibility. You know, I uh, paraphrasing of course my superhero friends will. Hate me for this because I'm sure I'll butcher it. I think it was Spider Man's parents, with with great resp- with, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, yeah, it was it was. It and was so yeah, and again, was I've that? already apologized yeah. for it, so, so forgive me, <laughs> listeners. But uh, you get the gist <laughs> <just> of it.
1: <laughs> it doesn't matter who said it; it's yeah. still true. No, nah, absolutely, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, and and that's something to be appreciated because I know that um, uh, in, uh that no one is is has studied uh, MLK nearly as much as you, my good sir. But, um, in, in the diving that I have done, um, one of the things that I do notice is that there was a lot of accountability, a lot of accountability on his part being had. Um, and I appreciate that as we, we celebrate, uh, this episode specifically because I do think that, you know, the, the model for modern day leadership in Western civilization is a tad skewed. Uh, so I'm glad that you're saying that. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that, um, you know as as people take time out and they reflect on um, on a man like this on 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 a day like this uh, you know I'm, I'm hoping that they ask themselves certain questions you know um, as we're all called uh, to our own form of greatness you know in the Bible you got Hebrews 12 you know we got to run our race it's our race That's right you know, it's a great That's right. cl- cloud of witnesses or crowd good God Um, we're all tired today and I'm, I'm tired of $140 worth of cleaning the sink. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I, if, if you were to, to, you know, um, impress one principle specifically today, uh, that MLK walked out, um, on anyone who knows as we all should, but anyone who knows and believes that they are called to some form of leadership, what principle would that be?
2: Oh, oh, I would go back to the first and second commandment. Lo- love God, love, love people. I mean, I mean, it, it comes down to that. Of course, love is a verb, it's not a noun.
1: Right. And so,
2: you know, right. for, for you, JB, for you, Devin, I mean, that's, that's, that's where the rubber meets the road. It's love God, love people. Yep. And how can you say you love God whom you have not seen, but with regard to your brothers, sisters, you have a total disregard who mm-hmm. are around you every day. Yeah. And so that principle I would I would definitely advance for. That's the thing that rings uh, most true. Dr. King wasn't a perfect man. Nope. A man who uh fell short in so many ways. Uh, compromising his integrity at times. We know that as scholars. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a that's a part of his story. He was a broken man. He was a man who had did things that were inconsistent, uh, with his vows as a married man. We know that he, he suffered from, um, uh, oftentimes, uh, having such a high expectation for those around him that sometimes he was impatient. We know that we know he, he struggled with physical and, and mental challenges. Dr. King's had a, had a nervous tick that was in his left eye. He was he was physically worn down and frustrated at times, even with those closest to him. Uh, and yet, despite all of that, that uh, the totality of his life, we see a man who was surrendered in his total being to the purposes of uh, for which he believed God had called him. And and he left this earth too soon at 39. And mm-hmm. you know, when he, as a young minister at 27 years old, uh, led the Uh, Montgomery Bus Boycott, uh, that was only the beginning of a journey that not only would address policies that were unjust, but also that would serve as a clarion call that he issued to the nation uh, to come back uh, to a rightness in terms of how we were to treat each other, how we were to honor one another, that laws when they do not square with the moral law of God, have an obligation not only to uh, not be followed but to be pushed back against. And so there are oftentimes when those laws were outside of the will of God, the law of God, the moral law. It doesn't mean you're void of even paying the consequences for such. He wasn't an anarchist. He, you know, he wasn't a one starting riots, but he did say, hey, listen, we're going to march. We're going to sit in. We're going to speak out. And Dr. King didn't have a country club to speak out from. He didn't, you know, he wasn't, he, you know, there was no, uh, no, uh, there was no prominent podium or microphone. And oftentimes, uh, in fact, the birth of that evening and on uh, at the start of the Montgomery bus boycott in December of 1955, he spoke from a church. Think about this. Dr. King's first speech ever given to advance the movement Dr. King's last speech ever given in his life to continue that movement happened in a pulpit.
0: Hmm.
2: He was in Memphis on April 4th when he was taken down, but he spoke on April 3rd, 1968. And then in December, he was in a local Baptist church there in 1955, calling on parishioners to join with him and speaking up on this policy of uh, people not being allowed to sit. Rosa Parks was actually seated in the colored section, she was seated where the laws required her to be. But a white person who did not have a seat in the white section wanted that seat. And she was asked by the bus driver to give up her seat. And she said, no. And so that started the freedom movement, if you will.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, but it all started in the church. It all started uh, the foundation of being, which is, uh, which is faith. And I often say as leaders, it's not that we don't know what to do. Oftentimes we lack the courage to do what needs to be done. And so our prayer should be on Dr. King's day as we celebrate him, women and men across this country, those of us who are called to lead and influence. God, give me courage. Mm -hmm. Give me courage. Give me wisdom to do the things that I know you've called me to do. When we see a wrong, when we hear a a joke uh, that is demeaning, when we're in a room and we look to our left and to our right, and people don't look like us yet who are making decisions that impact uh, people that don't look like them that that's something we got to look at we got to address that we got to be about that
3: yeah yeah uh, there was um there was an, another thought that I kind of had triggered as you you were walking through this and sure. being being that you've you've met with and spoken to a number of athletes and people who who have high profile influence you're talking about how Dr. King did not have a high profile platform and was still able to cause a movement that, that we celebrate even to, to this day, and, and we have a federal holiday for it, that it was such an important movement. I see a lot of people criticize people who do have a platform, whether they're athletes or actors or whatever, entertainers oh, of some kind. Go. Here we go. They get criticized for speaking out against these things, and yet here's here's someone who didn't have that platform, and, and I wonder how much more he might have been able to reach people if he had. So... Can you kind of speak yeah, to that's that?
2: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Devin, that's, you know, it's funny. It's frustrating because as an as a academic, as a scholar, one of the hats I wear, uh, and I'm still learning, I've not arrived, but one of the frustrations is that people don't know their history. Mm. Yep. You better preach. Uh, people don't understand and appreciate it's, the significant uh, role that athletes and entertainers played in advancing the civil rights movement. Right. And so I tell people, you know that when when the civil rights movement started in 1955 uh, they didn't have offices lawyers on retainer right budgets for flight and accommodations uh they didn't have a press room you know these these were baptist ministers some some volunteers a, a couple women you know printing up some flyers hey come we're going to talk about what happened to miss rosa and you know things jumped off. But when you're talking about going to jail, well, who's gonna bail you out? Mm. Who, who, what are the lawyers on retainer? Oh, yeah. wait, we got issues not just in here in Montgomery, we got issues in Mississippi, Birmingham, Atlanta. Okay, so h- how are we gonna address those issues? Do we have any networks? Well, athletes and entertainers, not only lend, lent their names, but they gave their money. And so, at one point in time, the civil rights offices Representing over the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the conference, the organization for which Dr. King led, had over 100-plus officers, 150 officers across the country. And so the money's raised in concerts, voter registration drive events. Hey, come here, Aretha Franklin. Hey, come see uh, Marlon Brando. Come see John Forsythe. Hey, come here, Elgin Baylor. Come see Sidney Poitier, Harry Belafonte. Hey, come see... Eartha Kitt, come see John Forsythe, come see Marlon Brando, come see uh, Nina Simone, come here the great Mahalia Jackson. All of these Tell them about the were dream, the Taylor Mark. Swift, the, the John <laughs> legends of their day. Yeah. And they gave their money, most in most instances cash, and time. These were white, black, Frank Sinatra, right. Charlton Heston. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Crazy, yeah. Crazy. And
2: so they gave their money and their time, and Dr. King and his organizations would take that those monies, and then those monies were used to expand and to address issues uh, within the country and around the country, and Dr. King was limited uh, to, you know, he was a preacher, he had, a, he had one book at the time, he, he had some royalties from that, but it wasn't much, he would get an honorarium if he preached here or there. One interesting insight, I'll tell you this. Dr. King, I mentioned, was limited, and up until a point, many knew he was the cash cow, I hate to use that word, but if Dr. King showed up, I mean, people tended to give, and uh, they would hold a rally or hold an event, take up an offering, and one day, uh, he at a meeting he had with Dr. Billy Graham asking Dr. Billy Graham to do more for the movement. Billy Graham, we know, would never hold a crusade, and I'm using that word historically, he would never hold a crusade. That was segregated, but Dr. King believed he could do more, and I believe Billy Graham could have done more uh, in terms of civil rights, but Billy Graham gave Dr. King some advice that I think was one of the most critical pieces of information shared with Dr. King at the start of the movement early on, uh, and that was the current pace, the current motto was untenable. It was not sustainable, and Graham told King you have to change up the way you're doing things. You're basically a one-person show. And so the whole concept of uh, – and again, I use this term historically. I'm reluctant to use the terms crusade obviously for obvious reasons, but Billy Graham introduced King to the crusade model that was consistent with his evangelistic meetings where you would go in a place for you know a couple months ahead of time. You would meet with local leaders, in this case pastors. If you've ever been to a Billy Graham crusade, you know this is what they would do. They'd meet with pastors. In fact, I, I was part of one in Dallas, met with them ahead of time, and they shared their vision for that night that they were going to come into the, in the city. And So anyway, there was a network, and they would build, do all this work ahead of time. And uh, you had legions of pastors and people committed who were sort of all in. And then at that event, regardless of who was speaking— because you had built that those relational capital focused on the overall theme, you could have a win for that night. And so Dr. King took that crusade model. You know, at one point in the span of a couple of months, they had over 25, 30 plus different rallies of which across this country, from the Bay Area all the way to the South, where people like Dr. King's associates, his close uh, colleagues and friends, people who were part of the movement, women and men were the keynote speakers. Not even King was present. Uh, and so they were able to raise substantial amount of funds because they diversified. That King says, hey, listen, I can't make this about me. You know, I am a symbol of the movement. In fact, I'll tell you real quick a story. When Dr. King received the Nobel Peace Prize in his speech at Oslo, Norway, he said, while boarding the plane to come here, I looked at the women and the men who were packing our bags and putting them on the planes. And he said, here I am on my way to Norway, just, you know, with a small contingency delegation receiving this prestigious award. He said, but make no mistake about it. The people who packed my bags on this plane were no less significant. And so he talked about them being the ground crew. That's the We know them as the ground crew. And so Dr. King used that as a metaphor. And he said, you know what? I want to acknowledge the ground crew in the civil rights movement, the name of women and the names of, of who women and men you will never know, but whose contributions are no less significant. Shout out to the ground crew. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. Doc. Um, Listen, by by your own, uh, account. We we want to make sure that you don't get in trouble with your family, so we, we've, we've got to bring, <laughs> bring this yeah. uh, interview to a close. I feel like we need a part two or part three, four, and five on this sucker. But well, um, I would
2: love no the kidding. chance to hook up with you guys again. Yeah. Brown, Mr. Chandler, thank you so much for um, the work you're doing, for the opportunity to share. I just would close with this one, one sort of challenge caveat. As we're celebrating the life and leadership and legacy of Dr. King, January 20th, 2020. You're right. 1985, I believe, Ronald Reagan, then the president signed this federal law uh, of a holiday. He's the only person that's not a president. He's the only person in our country that has a holiday set aside in his honor, his name. And Dr. King was not just a civil rights leader. He was a moral leader, a spiritual leader, a prophet, a priest for our time, for, for the time in which he lived. And so as the banks are closed, the libraries the post offices, some of us many of us the schools will be closed we will have off work it would behoove us to pause and to consider the work that remains to build what dr king called a beloved community to what dr king believed we could be this coalition of conscience advancing a message of faith hope and love to people who desperately need it uh using the light the lessons and the leadership of Jesus as a guide, I think we I think we would honor not only the life of Dr. King on the 20th in doing so, I think we would be consistent with what the scriptures call for us to do, which is to seek justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Micah 6.8. Well,
1: amen. Indeed, sir. And thank you for the challenge, and thank you also for a bunch of stuff on a personal and professional level, man. Thank you for your friendship your mentorship your craftsmanship your championship your yeah you all your all, all your ships bro um <laughs> well, certainly because you got many and yeah we'll we'll definitely get you back on here to talk more about the book you got a, you got another book at least that uh we can talk about as well yeah um and we'll even be nice we're probably going to give some books away uh for you um just to show exactly how much we think about uh, look what, forward what, to what you're doing for sure but um doc god bless you thank you for everything and I look forward to talking to you in the near anyway. Uh, and, uh, be okay, blessed, man. Give all with the brothers. Fans. Likewise, thank brothers. you. Take care. All right, now. Bless you. all right, all right. Thanks again for listening to the latest and greatest episode of I to I. Please don't forget to follow us on FB Inspired One Enterprises on Insta at I 2 I podcast. That's the letter I underscore the number two underscore the letter I podcast. And of course, don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Leave those five stars and a generous review because you love us and want us to be great as we do you. Thank you once again for rocking with us. And remember, be inspired to inspire because that's what the inspired one does. Was that good, Little Bear? Did I do it? Did I do that? Did I like the, the nice white people with the good voices? No? It's just not going to say nothing. Okay, fine. (sighs) Thank you again, guys. See you next week.